I'm Emily Danielson, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the home of the teaching ministry of my husband, Pastor Chris Danielson. I'm so glad you're spending some of your time with us today. Chris and I have been married for over 37 years, and we've hosted over 3,500 broadcasts shoulder to shoulder together over the last 20 years. And I've got to tell you, the thirst for righteousness has indeed grown in both of us over that time period. Still, I am amazed every time the Lord speaks through Chris like what he does in this message entitled, Who's Thirsty? From the main auditorium at Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa, and pointing to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, here's Pastor Chris Danielson. Well, I'm glad you guys are here today. This is going to be a fun message for me anyway. So after where we've been together in the Word in my first 120 days here, I really wanted to take this Sunday to take us into the areas of our next steps together. And it's obvious to me that that would be to a world of prayer and a world of anchoring to God's Word in a way in which we're free. And then we plan to ship it out. We plan to export the gospel that we've been given. And so as I'm preparing the next message, which was to be this one, and it was going to be on prayer, it seemed to be slightly off because what I was teaching, what I was assembling, I'm looking at my life, especially since March of this year, and I realize I'm not walking that talk as much as I need to be to share that message with you. And so instead, I thought I'd take a step back. And I believe that the message we need to talk about today is thirsting for righteousness, Who's thirsty? Because if we don't have a real thirst for the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, then we are taking the principles of prayer and Bible study and then possibly adding falsehoods on top of a false or cracked foundation. And it comes down to this. It comes down to this. Consumer Christianity versus authentic discipleship. Consumer versus discipleship. So last week, those of you who were here, I was talking about the warfare, the walk, and the word. I used 2 Timothy 4 to point to our personal end days. You are going to have an end of your days. It's coming. Don't know when. I mean, it's like we're playing real-life jack-in-the-box every day of our life. Friday, we were in Omaha, and our hearts were at the dome with y'all. And as we're coming out of Omaha, I had a truck. I think he did it. I don't know how he would either. He lost his mind or he did it deliberately. As he was slowly merging on to the, to the 80 and the 29, I was behind him. He was doing 30 miles an hour. So I pulled out in the far left lane. Nobody was behind me to pass him. And he literally cut me off all the way to the wall. Now, because I have mad racing skills... <laughs> I stomped on the brakes, got behind him, drafted him for a minute, made sure I was clear on the right side. Then I pulled up on the right side, got right in front of him, and then I blessed him in the name of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I promise you I did not burn my Christian testimony. But my horn does work. That much I'll tell you. Could have been over. You guys, instead of us celebrating together, you guys could have been doing a a memorial for Emily and I. It can happen that quick, people. You don't know. 
So that's why last week was the message about the end of your days, and we talked about Paul's post-game interview. So the bottom line is, is I've had these foundational messages since I've gotten here to find out who you are and to find out what we're supposed to be doing as the Spirit works in us. And the whole point is to be stronger in our discipleship in the lives that we lived as saved believers. And what happens then? Then other people who aren't saved want to come along with that. Too often in this country we have flipped the script and we want to try to be all these things to the world and soften our faith to the point where we're really nothing. We don't stand for anything. So when you get a little bit of firm truth, everybody's like, oh. So I want to review. I want to take a quick review. It's not going to be long, and I know some of you have heard this already from me before. Some of you are new here. I've met like three, four different people that I've never met before that said, yeah, this is my first time coming. Well, welcome. When I first got here, I went to Matthew chapter 9, and I taught you about new wine and old wineskins, okay? The old wineskin of your life now has the new wine of Jesus. If you just put it in the old wineskin, it's going to burst. And then I compared and contrast that with a lot of leadership principles for when new people come when you have to welcome in new things into your life, how you can be both the new wine and the new wineskin, and you can be the old wine and the old wineskin. What you cannot do is put the new wine in the old wineskin. Then I went to Matthew 13, and I taught you about wheat and tares, or wheat and weeds, if you will. And in Matthew 13, in the wheat and weeds sermon, we talked about how everybody as they're growing up together, the enemy comes and sows, sows in the weeds, and as they grow together, it's not our job to pick out who's wheat and who's weeds. Jesus says, let them grow together. And if you're a pastor or you're a leader or you're somebody in your office or in your workplace as the Christian, you're not to try to decide who's the wheat and who's the weed. You're supposed to feed them both. And Jesus will separate them at the end of days. And in living this out, I taught you about pretending. One of the things that we do is we quit pretending. Oh, my word, Christian church's religiosity over the last 50 to 100 years is just full of people putting on airs and pretending. And we have to do that in the corporate culture as well. You ever go to any of these network meetings or these network gatherings, and everybody's just kind of walking around networking? Not a real person in the bunch. That's not who we are going to be. And I start the we in that phrase as me and my family, me and my wife. We're not going to be pretenders. What you see is what you get. And sometimes it's offensive. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's lovable. But guess what? That's everybody. And here's what happens when you stop pretending. It exposes the pretending of everybody else. And it also exposes authentic faith in those around us. By their fruits, you will know them. Many of us are here in part because we are losing our pretending ways. We love the come as you are. Everybody's welcome. I'm in a hoodie up here preaching. I'm in jeans and boots and nobody cares. Least of all me. That's why this is such a great place for so many of us who've been hurt or put off or something by the pretending of the fake religiosity crowd that we've grown up with. And then I taught you about the four levels of consciousness. This is such an easy thing. I used to teach this in corporate training and sales and in uh, production meetings about people, how you get to know things. The first thing when you go to learn something new, especially those people visiting, if you've never been in this building before, you are unconsciously incompetent. You don't even know what you don't know. 
Then you become consciously incompetent as you walk in here. Oh, this is all new. Then you become consciously competent. You know where the bathrooms are, but you still got to think about where they are. Then you become unconsciously competent. You don't even have to think about it. It's just a muscle memory reflex. And this applies in hundreds of things in our daily walk. This is why people can ride down the road in their car, playing with the radio, eating a cheeseburger, drinking their coffee, all while following every rule of the road. They become unconsciously competent in driving because of all the miles they put in. This is also a danger. It's a danger because you think you can then text message and you can't. Don't text and drive. And I say that because I've watched people, not just texting and driving, but that same concept, do the same thing in their spiritual walk. I've read the Gospel of John no fewer than 50 times. And yet I'll open it up to John 15 and I'll see the bit about being grafted in the vine and it'll be like new for me the first time. My unconsciously competentness was a detriment to me getting back into God's Word. Do you follow? I don't have to tell my wife I love her. I've told her I loved her for 30 years. The last seven, I'm riding on my history. <laughs> She's unconsciously competent in our love. She should know it by now. Said no happy husband ever. <laughs> and then I gave you my foundational message. The message that I've used at conferences and conventions around the country for the last decade. I wrote this because a man named Ken Davis came on my radio show, and he used to talk about the pendulum in different ways, and I created this thing that I saw, and I saw the disconnect in the church between truth and love. And the, the love people were getting money to make documentaries. I wanted to make a truth one, so I made one called Bible Idiots. It's a long story. But the pendulum in your life swings. Now, picture... A clock face, right here. What's right here? Nine o'clock, right? What's here? Three o'clock, right? Over here is love. Over here is truth. Now, if you remember those old Timex watches that when the battery would run low, the, the second hand would just sit there and, and stick? Well, that's what we have in the pendulum of our life. We got the love people that get over here and they just get stuck. Love, love, it's all love. First Corinthians 13, love is the greatest. Forget truth. Everybody can do whatever they want because we love. Then we swing over here, and we got the truth people. These are my people. But they get stuck, and they forget about love. They forget about other people's feelings. They forget that people walk differently than they do, and they get stuck over here. The truth, the truth, the truth. The Bible says this, the Bible says this, and their favorite Bible verses, and God smote them. And they're just hung up. And so what do we need? We need that balance of truth and love. We need the swing between the five and the seven, the seven and the five. And you will know that you're swinging correctly when you understand that because of the truth, the greatest of these is love. You will love others you had no intention of loving because you first loved the truth. And his name is Jesus. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Why did we teach these things in order my first 100 days here? I'll tell you why. It's because of the great treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. You heard me. You guys know the story? Treasure in the field, pearl of great price. That's the whole reason. That's, that's everything. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. 
This is Jesus on a roll. Jesus is, he's, he's getting it. He's on a roll here, and he just starts telling them. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, before you think this is about greed, it's not. Go to the next verse, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding one, one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, is he doing that because he wants a bigger profit? Is that what the treasure in the field is, is about profit? No, it's about score. It's about the score in their life. It's not that a person stumbled along a pearl of great value. It was a merchant who's in that industry who knows what it means to hold that great valued pearl. The treasure in the field. There's not greed. I mean, there might be greed overtones to it, but it's really a score. There's a, you know, there's a pirate's treasure and a little parcel of land between here and Woodbine. And you stumble across it. And you cover it up. And then you go to the owner and you pay more for the field than it's worth. So then you get the field and the treasure. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying the kingdom of heaven with him as our king is our treasure. And we will seek it that way. And in that world, when we find Jesus and he's our greatest treasure, we eliminate everything in our world that will hinder that to pursue our treasure. And in that world, he tells us that we need to be concerned about the little things. we got to be trusted with the small things. Add this on to the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. This is critical to our growth. It's critical to our growth as Christians, and it lifts the veil that we have in front of us on a day-to-day basis. And you say, what is the veil? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it's the first six verses, and this could have easily been the text for the message today. Listen to it. It says, therefore, having this ministry, because we're so cool and so smart, and we just got it so together, and now that we've been saved, we know better than everybody. No, no. It says, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways that comes with it. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, you are going to know that we are about the truth, and we're just going to be plain and straight up about it. We're not going to use any deceptive or cunning practices. And then verse 3, because, or I'm sorry, and even if our gospel is veiled, even if it is, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What does that mean? That means you have a balance of truth and love when you look across the aisle at somebody who's perishing because the gospel is truly veiled to them. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I feel bad for them. I want to help them. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. 
For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is why we serve. This is why we love. It's for Jesus' sake. Why? Because he loved me while I was still a loser, while I was still a sinner, while I was still dead in my trespasses and sin. He saved me. Verse 6, bring it home. Bada bing, bada boom. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Anybody here thirsty yet? So let's go to the text for today then. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are you if you have a thirst for righteousness. If all of the scriptures I just laid out doesn't get you there, and you're still asking, well, what do you mean, dude? What, what are you saying when you say you thirst for righteousness? Well, we start by digging into God's word to discover what is righteousness. You see, that we receive the righteousness of Christ, but then we are told to thirst and strive towards righteousness. And not only that, but the Bible tells us we're not only supposed to just do that, but we're supposed to teach our children to do the same. Reality, sadly, in our culture, where the thirst and the drive for righteousness used to be, it's now gone. It's gone. It's just about eliminated from public square and perceived credible thought within our current culture. Now, it's all based on what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Let's cater to each other. I'm sorry, but it's a dangerous path to be on, one that is all about satisfying feelings. There's a whole science fiction empire based on this concept. Search your feelings, Luke. How do you teach a child to obey the rules when they live in a culture where the ends justify the means and rules don't matter? Only how you feel matters. Only, you know, now you're a God that needs constant affirmation of your feelings, whatever they may be, to be created into the most subservient way. I gotta be it's got to be created around me and catered to me in the most subservient way. Otherwise, I have the right to ostracize, shame, hurt, and cancel any of you who disagrees with me. That's the world we're living in right now. I'm sorry, I didn't make it up. I'm just reporting the fact. Now, how would you see a Christian pursuing and thirsting after righteousness and fulfilling their thirst in 2022 when that is the platform on which we have to find ourselves? Righteousness comes from the concept of right and wrong, which then who defines that term? Who gets to say what's righteous? Who decides what's right and wrong? Listen now. Ready? We don't decide. God does. And that's the one thing we just have to get our heads and our hearts around, that we don't get to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's tolerable and what's not. Because regardless of what we think and what we feel, God determines what's right and wrong. And if you are wrong, then you are what? Guilty. That's hard. So then where do you go? Right? Where else can you go? And that's part of our message at Fresh Encounter. There's nowhere else to go but our creator God, Jesus Christ, is found in the scriptures. And when you come into this church, we believe and profess that the Bible is God's word. It is our final authority, fully complete in every way. It really is. 
And there's the rub right there for so many. It's easy to make a move to try to discount the Bible. My favorite one is, it was written by 40 men, 40 guys. It wasn't written by God. That's so easy to combat. And we did so in 92 minutes plus credits. And in that film, Bible Idiots, Dr. Erwin Luther, Lutzer said, either the Bible is what it claims to be, the direct inspired word of God, or it is the most deceptive book ever written. So you're thirsting for righteousness, where else can you go? Look, there's nowhere else to go. And that's part of our message. There's nowhere else to go. Everywhere else you go is a dead end. And that's the thing also. People pursue these dead ends, and many, many will deny it's a dead end, even though the, it's evidence in their face that it's a dead end. Even though all the evidence points to it being a dead end, some people just won't let it go. It's called deception. And that's when deception becomes an idol, and it becomes a god in your life. And that's when the games begin. Example. Someone who is constantly paranoid that their spouse is cheating is probably a cheater. Not always. I mean, there are circumstances where, I mean, people have a, have a right to uncover the truth if, if something's wrong in their, in their life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if it's that constant paranoia year after year after year, and a faithful spouse is being browbeaten by another spouse, probably because the other spouse is a cheater. If you can't trust anybody and think everybody lies... Is probably because you're a liar. If you want to steal an election, you need to start blaming the other side for stealing the election and muddy the waters because that's what Satan does. It doesn't matter what the circumstances is, whether it's at your office, in your home, or whether it's at the playground, or whether it's at the dome when you're going to watch a great high school football team win another championship. I had to bring that in. I might have lost a few of you. I'm bringing you back. <laughs> that's what Satan does. He accuses everybody else of what he's actually doing. And then when you get soundly saved and you quit pretending and you know you're going to start living for Jesus, straight up, straight up going to live for Jesus because you know that's where he's got you, there's going to be collateral damage in your world and it comes with it. I don't say that. Jesus does. The temptation is to get all caught up in the fact that some people won't be able to tolerate you anymore. Jesus says so. And because of that, sometimes we get this tendency, we want to start to downplay Jesus in our life a little bit. We don't, we don't want to be known as the Jesus freak. And Jesus comes along and he says, look, don't deny me before people. Don't do it. Matthew 10, 32. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, if Jesus tells you to step off on Judgment Day, can there be any more horrible words to hear? I say no. I say that is the harshest thing in all of eternity, is for us to be here with Jesus in a place like this and not understand what it means to surrender to him and let him be our God. Instead, we want to try to be all we're supposed to be. See, here's the thing. Listen now. Jesus knows it's a satanic play you're going to have to deal with, so he's already coaching you up. Do you see it? It's in your Bible every day. It can be there for you every day. Jesus can coach you up. 
But here's the flip side of people who won't be able to tolerate you anymore. Is there also be some people you, as a born-again saved person, won't be able to tolerate anymore as well? What? <gasps> We're supposed to love all, forgive all, even our enemies. We're praying for them. And now you're saying this? Yep. Get the reality of the whole counsel of God, and you will see sometimes for your benefit, God will move you on from some. He will. He just will. Read further in Matthew 10, verse 34 and beyond on your own time, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But in this journey, the question is, are you truly looking to the author and finisher of your faith? Or are you caught up in something else? Straight up. I didn't come to church to be uh, put on the spot like that. Sorry. Not sorry. I'm going to ask you again. I got two weeks off. I'm not in this pulpit for another two weeks after today. So I want you to take this question with you. Are you truly looking to the author and finisher of your faith, the one that we did communion and remembrance of, or are you caught up in something else? And I'm talking 100%. If you are 80% sold out to Jesus, but 20% caught up in the culture of the day and you want to try to merge those two, is there somebody, anybody in your life that'll tell you you're wrong? Now, if you don't want to be saved... Set that aside. But if you want Jesus, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you look to him 100% as the author and finisher of your faith. And then you never get ashamed. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Who really believes. First to the Jew and then also to the Gentile, or also to the Greek. Let's go deeper into a passage that has huge meaning for both us and the audience of the day. The problem with this passage is, I don't think that many American Christians, at least the weak ones that I've hung out with, really know the level of what this verse means. Stay with me now. Romans 10.9 says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And now, a lot of times, before we get into verse 10 and 11, people will take these things and they'll create this thing called the sinner's prayer. Just so we're clear, I am a fan of the sinner's prayer. But Chris, you talk against it all the time. I talk against the use of the sinner's prayer, even though I'm a fan of it, because I believe that just doing the sinner's prayer has created a ton of false converts. And what do those false converts then become? Consumer Christians. When you transfer trust using the sinner's prayer, you have a stepping stone towards authentic discipleship. And which one is looking for the customer service desk at the church to let us know how we didn't fit your consumer needs today? As soon as you find that customer service desk, that complaint department here in Fresh Encounter, let me know because I don't know where it is. And as soon as I find it, I'm going to shut it down. We're not here to play customer service church. And anybody who, who, who has the same mentality as I do, we don't build mega churches. Very rarely. There are a couple. 
There are a couple with some really good ground where people are like, I got to have that, and they go there. But this is for the remnant church. This is for authentic believers who, verse 10 of Romans 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This starts earlier in this chapter. In verse 2, it says, and I don't have this on the screen. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The thirst they have is not for the righteousness of God. The thirst a lot of consumer Christians has is the desire to be right in the eyes of the world. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, we take this idea of belief so thinly. We take it so thinly. Yeah, I'm looking across and Jesus is probably the way. I, I believe Jesus is God. Yeah, No, 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 it's believe. I've told you the story of Blondin. I'll tell you again. I'll never stop telling the story because it, there's no better story that exemplifies what it means to really believe. Blondin in the 1860s was a tightrope walker from France. He had a French name, but he changed his name to the stage name Blondin. He's the first person in the history of the world to string a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he used to do events up there and walk across the falls. First time he was there, 10,000 people showed up. And Blondin came walking across the falls, and he gets in front of the 10,000 people, and they're going crazy. And he quiets them down because he was a great showman. He quiets them down, and he says, I am Blondin. Do you believe in me? And 10,000 people screamed, we believe. Oh, we believe. And he quieted them down again. He said, listen. I'm going to go back across the falls. And this time I'm going to carry a human being on my shoulders. Do you believe I can do that? And oh, they went crazy. We believe. We believe. And he quieted him down again. He said, okay, who will be that human being? And it got really quiet. 10,000 people said they believed. But one man walked out of the crowd, got on Blondin's shoulders, and they went back across the falls. He really believed. Do you know who he was? He was Blondin's manager. Can you imagine getting that gig? Look, if nobody steps up, it's you, dude. <laughs> Why did he do it? Because he knew Blondin wasn't going to fall. He knew Blondin had, a, had I mean, there would have had to been a, a 50 mile an hour gust of wind to make Blondin fall. Blondin would push people with wheelbarrows. Blondin one time sat down on the tightrope and had a little. Uh, a little a flame in a little pot and grilled some uh, eggs in the middle of a tightrope. The guy was an amazing, amazing tightrope walker. And his manager knew that he was safe. Do you feel the same way about Jesus? Let me tell you who this was written for. This was written in the book of Romans for a group of Christians who were living out their faith who could die at any minute. Because when it says confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, let me tell you the culture that they did that in. You'd be out working in the field and you'd hear them coming and you'd just be like, oh man, please, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably run or try to hide. But some of them just knew they couldn't. And here comes this little platoon of Roman soldiers and they got a cart. They're dragging a cart. 
You hear the horse hooves come, and a couple of the sentries come out to the workers, and they call them all. You come over to this cart, and they open up this curtains, and in there's this bowl of incense. And they've even got treats for you. They've even got a little gift for you. Because you confess that Caesar is Lord. And you walk up, and you take the incense, and you say, Caesar is Lord. You throw it on the fire, and you turn, and they give you a little piece of bread or whatever, a coin. But this is being written to those who say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And when they throw the incense, probably before the incense hits the fire, somebody runs the spear straight through them, and they're gone. That's different, isn't it? That's a different belief system that we are claiming. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and be saved. Not for this life, but for the life to come. Do you see it? Can you imagine talking to a martyred Christian who had to make that decision about your consumer Christian complaints? Put them through that filter before you bring them to us. But let's bring it home. See, our mission, Andrew Carr, tells everyone that this is a place where all are welcome because we will not soften the true gospel message. We will not alter the message to fit you or anyone else. To be faithful, authentically faithful to Jesus, we cannot change or soften the message to help you fit in and to help you feel more comfortable. Some of us are facing the spear and we know it. And if we're going down and we're going to be with Jesus, we're going with clean hands and a clean heart. And that means we won't soften the message to try to create some consumer Christians. Follow? And that is the line that divides, consumer versus disciple. I want to pursue discipleship. The soundly saved will choose to pursue discipleship over consumer Christian objections. So my message to you is look to Jesus. Look to the Christ and what he actually says. Not what I want it to say, but what does it actually say? And then one can change how they view, how they feel, because God has revealed something to them that they've actually never recognized before. Like a real thirst for righteousness. The real thing. If you get a sip of it, you can't stop thinking of it. It doesn't matter where you go in life. It doesn't matter if you make it to the top of what this world has to say or if you have never been anywhere and you are the, the least of us. It doesn't matter. If you get a sip of this real thing, you will no longer accept counterfeits in your life. You will taste it right away. But you know what? Once I taste it, I must then deal with the mess I've left from my previous deceptions. And that's embarrassing. That's hard. That's difficult. I mean, I've had my own deceptions I've had to clean up. And it's not easy. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's going to be easy for you. But you want to know what makes things easier? When you have people to go through it with you. When you know you can lock arms with authentic disciples of Christ, it's one of the greatest moments that life has to offer. 
And when we get to do it over and over and over again, and I see our children's ministry, I see our food ministry and our donuts, and I see people coming, and I, and I see people wanting to love each other. You know, I, I've watched, since I've been in Harlan, I've watched people struggle with how can they help and bless people. That's a cool thing. That's an awesome thing. That's people thirsting for righteousness. And when you're doing those things, if you grab this Christmas tree stuff and you participate in all that because you want to add a few more check marks to your appearance of being a good Christian, go ahead and do it. But just understand it's kind of lame. When you are thirsting for righteousness and you grab a few of those tags and you buy a present and you set it under there, you know Jesus is getting the glory. There's a joy, there's a hope, there's this excitement inside that you can't stop. It doesn't matter what you used to think. It matters what you think now. Jesus has changed you. And this church is here to help you with that. But please, don't, under, don't misunderstand. Please do not misunderstand that grace meant to help as rubber stamping your deception, because it's not. Try and cash a counterfeit red $20 bill worldview and we will not play along. We will do all we can to not be rude. We'll do all we can to not be combative in the process, but make no mistake, we will not legitimize falsehoods. Extra biblical, out of context, cultural missteps that some people embrace in place of the authentic true gospel message. It's really garbage that eventually hurts, so we will not play along. So come to the real Jesus. Come to the real Jesus, confess your sins, and believe on him. Believe on him and confess with your mouth that he is the only one who can take away your sins. Every other religion in the history of this world has one thing in common. They're all working their way towards God. And then they justify why they fail. Authentic Christianity, and I use the word authentic all the time because of the problems we have in Christianity, visible Christianity. Authentic Christianity, Jesus Christ, our creator God, works his way towards us while we're still sinful. I was in Arizona and I was talking to this, this street kid. I don't remember, we were at a street taco stand or whatever and we just started talking. And I mean, we can start talking about anything and if, if you're around me long enough, I'll just start talking about Jesus. And he said, I gotta get myself cleaned up before I can go back to church. I gotta get myself cleaned up before I can go back to church. It's the same mentality as to why you brush your teeth before you go to the dentist. I want to do the Tim Allen rule. Go a half hour early, sit in the parking lot, eat a fistful of Cheetos, three or four Oreos, take a bite out of an onion, take a nap, and go in and sit in the chair. All right, earn your, earn your money, buddy. <laughs> you do not have to clean up to come to church. That is why we are come as you are. Everybody's welcome. But you leave changed. And how do we do that? We do that by not catering to you in your lost state. We show you our saved state, our authentic discipleship, invite you to join us. So confess on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you and praise you. And if there's anybody here that needs to confess you, Lord, I would ask that you would have them seek me out or one of the elders out after the service so that we can pray with them. And Lord, don't let Satan snatch this truth from their ears. Let them hold on to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To connect with us directly, go to BibleIdiots.com and look for the email address in the upper left-hand corner. We would love to hear from you. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Simply search Bible Idiots. I'm Emily Danielson, and if you like what you hear, please share this with the people in your world.